Ah, hello, Christian. How are you, my friend? I'm pretty good, man. How are you? I can't complain. I've had a good week. I'm having a good day. How uh, how's your your week been? Uh, it's been pretty good. Uh, so my wife and I, uh, we did a thing and uh, we got a Peloton. Oh, that's the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that's the the stationary bike, but it's it's like internetified. Is that right? Yeah. So it's like spin classes online. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, we were both at the point where we were like, you know what, we're both really out of shape. You know, where we've both really settled into our parent role, which doesn't involve us going out really ever. And then the pandemic obviously just um, amplified that. And so we've been talking about it for a while, saving up for a while, and then finally pulled the trigger. And uh, so it came last week. And so, you know, I've been doing it for I didn't bring it up last week because, frankly, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to pull it off. Uh, to you don't want to like, commit to that. You don't yeah, want other people to have that knowledge. I didn't yet. want anybody to know until I was like at least, you know, sure that I could do like seven days worth of rides, you know, and whatever. And you could pick your difficulty and whatever. So I'm definitely just at the beginning. But uh, um, for those of you who are uh, part of the Peloton fam, uh, Dr. Mac Attack 15. Um, or you can actually check the hashtag dad joke loading pod on the leaderboard. Um, and so that's my like leaderboard that. hashtag. So those of you who are in the Peloton fam, uh, you gained a friend. Um, I, I'm not going to lie to you, Chris. I, I watched the commercials and I'm like, these guys, they're too much. <laughs> and then I got on the bike and then I was just like, oh, man, Cody's playlist was lit today. And I'm like, who are you, Christian? Like, what happened to you? <laughs> I like, am that person. I'm just, I am. I am. It's addicting. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, you know, the endorphins of exercise are a real thing. Um, and uh, I, I'm incredibly out of shape. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that is what it is. But uh, I'm getting there. It's a great idea. I mean, you know, um, arguably within our lifetime, maybe, you know, when we were fairly young, um, you know, there was a huge, huge growth in gyms, standalone gyms, you know, even within yep. our lifetime since we've known each other. And I feel like it is only natural that with the with the developments we have in technology that the next kind of major growth in in health and fitness is moving the gym environment to home, you know, mm -hmm. and keeping that motivation. Yep. I, I think it's a neat idea because I, you know, like like all of us have spent many times <clears throat> getting up early in the morning, walking down to the basement, pouring a coffee, uh, you know, downing it, getting ready to start my workout and then saying, oh, I'm tired. Uh, yeah, I think and I'm just going to centers on and just, you know, <laughs> just going to take a break. And then that breaks 20 minutes long. Oh, time for work, time for work. So I think having that motivation of other people around you is a good idea. And this is, our, I guess, our first interactive component of our podcast. I love Absolutely, it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I, so that was, uh, that's been kind of my week kind of figuring that out. And now, you know, of course I'm trying to like, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, you know, try to balance the whole, just like, okay, I'm not an exercise nut. I'm certainly not one of those people, but I do enjoy getting on the bike every day. A couple of coworkers have it too. And so we're all like, you know, talking about it and all excited. I'm very much in the Peloton honeymoon phase. Um, <laughs> so hopefully I don't come crashing down to the, you know, reality of Peloton, uh, you know, you, Peloton you and the Peloton marriage. bike you and the Peloton bike don't start having an argument about like a dirty dish and uh, just exactly. Yeah. As soon as we have a fight talking. about laundry, it's over. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, well, that's cool. I, after all of our years of putting together Ikea furniture, I have to ask how, uh, <clears throat> I mean, you and me sitting on the floor with a baseball game in the background, screwing together a shelf called the Bjorn. 
What? Uh, how difficult was it to set this bad boy up? Of course, it's called the Bjorn. They have the best names at IKEA. Um, actually, fun fact: Peloton uh, people have somebody that deliver it and set it up at the house for you. Um, Get out of so here. I literally had to do nothing. Wow. Um, so yes, um, so that was fantastic. But it is now in my living room and uh, stares at me all the time, and you know, make sure that it. Uh, you know, make sure that it gets used on the daily. Um, so no, I'm, I, I will admit I am enjoying it. 10 out of 10 would recommend so far. Um, wow. if you need like a exercise type of thing to do at home, you know, they have a whole bunch of teachers, um, classes, music genres, you know, all that type of stuff. So, um, so definitely would recommend, but, uh, how was your week? Uh, it was really good. Um, <clears throat> my uh, my mom came to visit, and the reason she came. Oh, to that's nice. She, uh, yeah, it, it was really nice, actually. She uh, she's, she's a wonderful she, woman. She well, thank you, Chris. And as is yours, I uh, I like that our parents uh, get along not only with each other but also with us, which is great. But um, she came to visit, which is great. And the reason she came to visit for so long is that she got vaccinated. Um, so that's a really exciting thing, you know, all of that. And I guess we should new- clarify, I'm assuming you mean COVID vaccinated. Yes. Yes. Um, also rabies. I was good. Um, I was going to be, I was going to be like, darn, she's that overdue for measles. Um, but, uh, unfortunately <laughs> yeah, though, sadly, that's a thing. Like, unfortunately that is a thing in our society that people are apparently still getting the measles, but I digress. I learned this week that my mom caught rubella when she was in university. What century is this? I know, I know. Because, I mean, it was while she was, oh no, she would hate me for saying that. I'm going to not say that. Um, she, uh, her, her. She's probably not listening. Her, her, yeah. Oh, I just got sad for a moment. I just called her a wonderful woman too. I was just like, she's so wonderful. She's not listening. Um, yeah, her, her mom. Um, you know, her, her parents lived through World War II and had other stuff on their mind. Um, and I guess when they immigrated to Canada did not, uh, did not remember vaccination basically. And, uh, so she got vaccinated for some stuff, but that one just kind of slipped, slipped the notice a little bit. You know what though, in fairness, you know, like if you're telling me that they lived through World War II and like emigrated to Canada, like, you know, like that type of thing, like... You know, remembering your little immunization card, I feel like is low on the list. So, I mean, yeah. I can kind of like I can understand. No, I can't understand yeah. having lived through that. And so I will 100 percent give them a pass on that. Obviously, totally uncool that she got rubella. Um, yeah. But um, I, I, I could appreciate that. You know, if if they were literally just like, yeah, you know what? We got one duffel bag we got to bring with us, uh, <laughs> you know. I can totally picture my grandfather saying, Rubella, I had my living room blown up by a bomb. What do I care? Go back to school. <laughs> basically, yeah. Um, yeah, so she got vaccinated for COVID, which is uh, really great. Well, that's and, great, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, of course, all of the data coming out of the United Kingdom and, and around the world has been really encouraging, really suggests that life will return to normal. And um, she was able to get it because she's the primary caregiver for her father, the grandfather that I just mentioned, uh, who's now in his mid-90s in a retirement home. And, also a uh, wonderful man who I had the pleasure of meeting um, actually the last time that we were together in person. You did. I yes. totally forgot about for that. His when birthday. We, went to, we went to the Sens game. And yes. uh, that's right. We went to go visit him. Mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. So Can you believe that was the last time we were together in person? Yeah. And that was we went into a retirement home 
yeah. on that was the basically the end of February, right? I think it was actually it was it actually was, the, it was today or today or yesterday. It was like March first or something. It right? might have been March first or second. Yeah, I don't remember. That's crazy. I do remember us also having to sign in, and then also they were specifically asking us to use hand sanitizer. Yes. So we were kind of yes. at that point, um, yes. kind of pre-shutdown of everything. But anyway, And then yeah. literally, I think, oh, yeah, two weeks, week and a half later, it all, yeah. uh, it all shut down, which is just wild when you think about it in hindsight. I, uh, I mean, if it, <laughs> I think both of us just gulped pretty hard thinking like, oh, my God, did we just bring something <laughs> into that retirement home? But they had no deaths at their facility as a result of COVID. So excellent, excellent. news. Excellent news. So yeah, I had a great week. She visited and uh, yeah, I can't complain. But uh, I guess we've been we've been uh, gabbing, gabbing on for a little while here. Do you want to, should we start this podcast at some point? Yeah, sure. Do, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Uh, I don't, I don't remember who started last time. How do you, I don't know. Do you want to flip a coin for it or how do we decide on this? You know what? Well, enough sports I decide who takes possession of the ball first <laughs> is decided by coin flip. Hmm. So yeah, you got a coin. Yeah, I do have a coin. Hold on. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm in my bedroom closet and the only coins I keep in my bedroom closet is like the, we've all got that little Tupperware of coins that you've like kept or saved over the years. So uh, I've got a couple euros here, but in honor of my American friend, I've got uh, an American quarter. And uh, these are probably quarters that everybody in America just does not give a flying hoot about. But because they're the ones with the states on them, uh, yes. I've mm-hmm. tried to keep as many. So you, me, and the great state of Tennessee are going to decide this one together. All righty. So I've, uh, on one side, I've got, of course, you and me, this being a commemorative quarter. Those, Absolutely. Those the heads. And the tails being a banjo, a guitar, and a violin. So let's, uh, let's do this. So you're, uh, you're the away team here, Christian. Uh, you call it, okay? All right. Uh, the call is tails. The call is tails. All right. Heads. <sighs> so I, uh, that's my call. I'll, uh, I'll take possession first. I'll start this podcast. All right. Sounds good. Let's load it up. Load it up. Welcome, everybody, to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chris. I am here with my fellow co-host and fellow dad, Christian. Um, And uh, we're here to talk to you about being dads. We've got another good show for you today. At least we hope so. We try to. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, dividing up the roles, the division of labor in the household between mom and dad. We've uh, We've got some other good stuff for you coming up a little bit later. Visits to the pediatrician. But before we dive into it, as always, I'd like to offer some sincere thanks to, uh, to all the people who allow this to happen. Um, our wonderful and beautiful wives and daughters. Um, Ryan, our producer, Ryan, we couldn't do this without you. Uh, our illustrator, Vishal Murthy, the vet cartoonist. Um, check him out online. He's, uh, he's wonderful and also a wonderful guy, by the way. And uh, <clears throat> Michael Spicer, Michael Spicer Music. Thanks for that great intro music. As always, thanks to all of you who allow this to happen. But we're going to dive into our first topic right now, and uh, that is roles. How do you decide who does what in the, in the house? Um, this is something that, you know, my daughter's now about three and a half months. And, uh, you know, as we kind of go along here, my wife and I are still actively, actively 
feeling out and figuring out who's best doing what and and what's too much for each of us. And, you know, of course, there's a lot of layers to that. But Christian, I'm going to start this off with a few simple questions just to get the ball rolling. Okay. Dinner. Dinner roll. <laughs> That's my favorite. Oh, is that not the first question? Sorry. Sorry. Keep going. I like, a, you know, my time in California, I love a Hawaiian sweet roll. You know, mm. I can get behind those, throw a little, throw a little meat, a little coleslaw, a little jam on one of those. You not going to lie. Nice. I remember us, uh, and we talked about this previous trip, uh, road trip on baseball to uh, Baltimore. Oh, the lobster roll down there. Mm. <sighs> Delicious. But anyway, yeah. I digress. Not the rolls yeah. we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, these these would be roles, R-O-L-E-S. I'm going to start off with asking you just a few questions, uh, very basic, on okay. who does what in the house, okay? Okay. And you're going to answer either, I do that all the time, my wife does that all the time, or if you split it pretty evenly, or if you split it with one of you taking the majority of it. Got it. Okay? So we'll just go boom, boom, boom. You okay. tell me. First off, who does daytime feedings? Um, well, originally... Um, it was my wife who did it all because, uh, we were breast, uh, I say we were, um, I have useless (laughs) nipples. Um, but, uh, actually fun fact, um, that was one of the names we were considering to name the podcast. Um, it was was useless nipples, uh, runner up. (laughs) it was a runner up. Yeah. Uh, so originally because my wife was breastfeeding, it was her. Um, but now it's basically whoever is off from work that day now that she has transitioned basically to bottle feedings. Um, so Um, it is so originally essentially my wife, um, and then more recently a little more equal. Okay. So I, I, you'd say like at this point in time, at least split in responsibility, broadly speaking, if one of you happens to be off more, it might be that person more, but equally. Okay. Who does nighttime feedings? Like the, the, the middle of the night feeding. I know, I know. And I'll say we're at different phases in this. So you may not have as many middle of the night feedings, but if you can recall back to when you were doing middle of the night feedings, who is doing that? Uh, my wife almost exclusively. Okay. Uh, but who, I will admit um, just quickly that I, we are extremely lucky. Our baby was a very good sleeper and I know a lot of people are going to hate me for that. Um, but uh, she was a very good sleeper, but it was again, pretty much my wife. Yeah. You can go screw yourself. Uh, yeah, um, I know. I understand. <laughs> Who, at this point in time, who does the diaper changes? Equal. Equal? At the start? Equal. Who did the equal? All right. That's equal. Um, Although I will admit, uh, sometimes we will throw each other under the bus kind of jokingly, especially if we can, uh, if there's a rather, uh, how should I say this, pungent load um, in the (laughs) diaper. And we'll just be like, nah, I did the last one. And we'll be like, "Ah, yeah, you did. Um, But uh, no, I'll say the answer is really equal. I should uh, I should send you this coin. Um, mm-hmm. Might help you with that. Mm-hmm. Although I, I'm just going out on a limb. You may have a coin there potentially that you could also flip. I, I might not have to FedEx you this quarter. But we, I mean, we, we still have the that. penny here, right? So <laughs> that's true. Yeah, listeners, if you if we have American listeners here, I think it's of critical importance that they know that Canada does not have pennies anymore. Um, as a brief aside, in Japan. Uh, they have one yen coins, which functionally are pennies and five yen coins. And it's a very cash-based society. It's very, very uncommon to use debit or credits. Very, very cash-based. That's very bizarre because you would, you would think, and I realize now I'm kind of stereotyping, which is really unfortunate. But I mean, I mean, Japanese, like the, the technology that has come out of Japan, you would hmm. expect a lot Absolutely. of electronic payment. 
it's an incredibly interesting topic and one so we can maybe dive into in, in another show, but they're also very paper-based and the current prime minister has a um, a campaign for trying to move away from being such a paper-based economy. Indeed, when you sign something, a legal document in Japan, you actually have a legal stamp that you use and you have to apply for that stamp. And if you forgot your stamp, you can't sign documents. So wait, do it's people have incredible. like seals? Like are we back in medieval time yes. that it's just like it bears yes. the mark? Yes. Amazing. And I mean, they are one of the most technologically advanced countries in the world. It's yeah. incredible. I mean, they're, I mean, I could go on and on there. It's clean and, and everything. Um, but all these coins, you, you can't use them anywhere. You can't use them in the subway machines. You know, you, you're never going to pay with something with functionally pennies. And you, you basically can't use them. So you end up with this, everybody has this giant bucket of coins that are largely mm -hmm. unusable. And you, you essentially just donate them. You know, you just, you, you give them to charity. That's so or bizarre. You use them at the shrines. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, I Water think we were talking about. Water just full of coins in Japan. <laughs> yeah. um, now, we were talking about diapers, so I'll try to return us to a more right. enthralling topic. Um, so who cleans uh, your pacifiers, bottles, if you use a you know pumping equipment? Who does the cleaning of these instruments? Um, I will say equal, but maybe actually more me, to be honest with you. And that's probably because my wife, you know, graciously is the one... Uh, uh, providing the sustenance to our child. And so because she is taking on that, I took on the kind of cleaning and maintaining of the apparatus, apparatus, apparatuses. Appar That's a good question. That's anyway. Um, and, uh, but now again, now that we are doing mostly bottle stuff, it's, it's basically equal, you know, whoever uses the bottle for the feeding, they clean it. So, right. Okay. Okay. I'm with you there. Who does the majority of the, I'm going to say specifically baby laundry. I mean, it could be that you have one laundry person in your house, but I'm going to say baby laundry. Uh, my wife almost exclusively. And the reason is because she hates the way I fold my daughter's <laughs> clothes. And so she just doesn't want me to do it. Yeah. Straight up. I'm totally with you there. My, uh, yeah. my wife had before, you know, before university and <clears throat> in undergrad had extensive experience working in uh, retail at clothes stores. So she's just like this pro folder. She's got five of them like done and stacked. And I just got a crumpled, sad ball that's falling apart in front of me. And she just shakes her head. Just, just roll, just roll the socks, Chris. Just, it's okay. <laughs> so we typically okay. have like a couple loads of laundry at a time and I'll do most of the adult clothes or she'll like, you know, she'll throw me a bone and be like, here are some towels. And, you know, and uh, so she probably redoes them after I go to sleep, you know, but uh, uh, no, it's really uh, just she's trying to boost your self-esteem. Uh, yeah. You know what? She's trying. I'll, I'll give her that. So uh, she makes me feel good. So that's fine. But uh, no, my wife does that because, again, I she doesn't let me fold my daughter's clothes. So. Right. Um, OK, I've got I've got a good one for you here. Uh, okay. Who 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 does the majority of the dinnertime cooking? Uh, that's me, actually. Um, and, um, for no real reason, except that, um, typically, um, so right now my daughter's in a phase where she's very, well, I guess it's been her whole life that she's been very attached to her mother. Uh, but, um, you know, typically whoever gets home from work first spends a little bit of time with our daughter and then whoever gets home second spends time with her while the other one who is already home makes dinner. 
Um, mm. And just the way that our schedules work, typically that's me. Um, so I enjoy cooking. We both do. Uh, my wife's a very good cook. Um, and But uh, yeah, I typically do most of the cooking. Or I should say the majority of, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I would do most of the cooking. Okay, excellent. Um, this uh, this one's a little bit different, but if you if you try to think of the last hundred books that she was read, the last hundred times you read a story to her, who read the majority of those stories? Uh, I'm going to throw a curveball in here. It's actually Grandma. Oh, uh, I like. I know. Hey. Throwing a wrench in hey. here. Uh, we are very lucky in that uh, my wife's mother or my mother-in-law um, is the primary. Well, really, the only babysitter we have. She's retired, so she lives around the corner. So she's able to look after our daughter um, when we're both at work. Um, and so we have tons of books, um, but Grandma is the avid reader for sure. Mm. Um, so when my wife and I get home from work or home on lunch, we're typically doing more kind of active activities. So whether that's like, you know, coloring or playing with toys, you know, those types of engaging things. Um, so we still read to her and we read to her before bed every day. Um, but during the day, yeah, majority of the readings actually grandma. Grandma. Okay. I like that answer. I have to say as a brief aside, I really like your mother-in-law. I mean, I know that you you're too close to the situation, maybe let's say, but oh, I, I hit the mother-in-law lottery. She's, straight she's up. awesome. And I'm going to fully admit that my initial bias that before I got, before I really knew her at all, I, I didn't know what to expect, but I didn't expect her to be as awesome as she is. So uh, I feel that it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, okay. And the last question is if you had to add up, you know, you were mentioning the playing, the coloring, you know, spent the, the kind of um, stimulating activities. Um, if you had to take, you know, all the hours in a week that that's done, who does more of those uh, in the week? Or would you say it's an even split? I'll say it's, uh, it probably tilts towards my wife. Um, and the reason is because, again, my daughter's in a little bit of a phase right now where she really just wants to be with her mother. Um, mm. and so sometimes if my wife is trying to get a chore done, it's impossible because she, my daughter then is just crying and doesn't want to hang out with me, uh, mm. which is fine. You know, I'm not bitter. I'm not, I'm not petty. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Whatever. It hurts, um, but, man. It, um, it does. It, does. it it's, you know what, but I mean, so it, it is what it is. And, you know, but then she looks at you and she goes, hi, dada. And you're just like, all right. Um, <laughs> but, um, so we're kind of in that right now that sometimes it's more just like it's easier. And I feel like this is probably where our discussion is going. You mentioned kind of the roles and things. It's just, you know, it's easier for me and really better for my daughter to for me to take on the role of doing the more behind the scenes things. So, you know, in right. order for my wife to be a little more on the front line with her, you know, in that yeah. type of thing. And we're flexible with that. But I feel like more often it's me end up doing the thing that's not with our child um, because that's easier for us. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's uh, I mean, I, I think I mentioned this before, but it's like that, that really incredible advice that you gave me uh, when, when I found out that I was going to be a dad, which is that, you know, in the early phases, her job is to take care of the baby and your job is to take care of her because um, she's mm -hmm. not going to be able to take care of herself. And, and so like you say, you're still trying to pull your weight as best as you can, but often it's, like behind the scenes stuff, right? Yeah, it's uh, the it's the proverbial plumbing and electrical of parenthood. You don't <laughs> see it, 
you know, right. it doesn't get right. the credit it's due, but when it breaks, you know it. Right. Uh, you're so. you're making a really awesome picture frame, but she's painting the masterpiece. So. Exactly. Yep, exactly. So. so that that brings me to my next question, which is, did you talk about this before she was born? You know, was there was there at any point where you explicitly before these roles sort of became divided that you talked about, you know, in no uncertain terms, this is your job, this is my job, or I'm going to do the majority of this, or this is how this is going to operate? Or did you find that you just sort of fell into these roles without kind of knowing what was happening? Uh, yeah, I think we definitely kind of, we fell into them. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to, uh, I'm going to reference a previous episode here where we're at the hospital. Um, and we've kind of just kept this kind of, I don't know, mantra, I guess, throughout, which is just one of openness where we're just like, we really have no idea what we're doing. Uh, I mean, we, I mean, because obviously we've never had a child before. So like, I don't think we knew what to expect. Um, I mean, not that anybody really knows what to expect, but um, I think just us having that kind of openness of flexibility to be like, all right, we'll just kind of let the, the lifestyle and, you know, how she grows and adapts and we'll kind of just let that dictate what we're doing. Um, so no, I think we've kind of just been figuring it out as we go. And then after a while, you know, once you kind of figure out her routine, um, you know, and what she likes in that, and then you kind of just based on that, but now there wasn't really a whole lot of conversation other than just kind of the, you know, we're on the same team conversation. Mm. Right. Um, which, um, which is, I mean, sounds silly to say, but it's important to reinforce. Oh, good Lord. That's an incredibly healthy viewpoint on that. I, I really like that, that approach. And I'm not going to sit here on like in my ivory tower and be like, oh yes, we are so equal. And you know, all like we have this all, you know, no, it just, uh, so we're certainly new parents like everybody else, but, uh, um, but yeah, we kind of just kind of fell into it and kind of just went with it, which for those people who know my wife, um, probably are like, nah. She had it all planned out and it, we really didn't. Uh, we really didn't. My wife's quite the planner. Um, but. Well, let me ask you this question then. As you've, as you've figured it out, you know, and as you've kind of stepped through these things, no doubt we've both had stressful moments, right? There's always mm -hmm. going to be moments where, and, and, you know, you always keep it calm, you know, you always try to try to remember the tiredness and remember the stresses that are going on at the same time. But let me ask you, let me ask you this, as, as you've sort of subtly unknowingly divided up this tasks, do you feel that you and her have always been on the same page? And of all those tasks I just mentioned, is there any of those that you feel that you two have conflicted on that you feel like, you know, there's been uh, an unequal balance that has been corrected with time? Um, I don't necessarily think any of those specific instances, like, for example, like, I don't think it's like, oh, we seem to mess up or conflict the whatever dinner time or nighttime feeding. So I don't think it's like any particular um, category, if I can call it that. Um, but I think just kind of the generic scheduling sometimes, meaning like wet with our work schedules and like who comes home first or like picks up from where or like that type of thing. Um, when that, that I feel like is where a lot of the rub happens, um, which then potentially causes one of us to whatever be late making dinner, or that happens that one of us right. is then late, you know what I mean? Those types of things. So I would say that in and of itself is probably the rub, um, where it's like, 
because our schedule gets mixed up, then whatever happens to be going on at that particular time um, then becomes the the slight conflict or whatever little miscommunication and, you know, right. stressful moment, if that makes sense. It is amazing how much, you know, there's so much routine. Routine is what makes yeah. parenting successful. And if a wrench gets thrown in that routine, the success breaks down pretty quickly. Even I, just um, something I remember, we were driving somewhere. We had to take uh, my wife's parents somewhere this past weekend, and they they couldn't drive there, so we had to drive them. But because it was whatever X number of minutes away, we were really struggling to get back in time for our daughter's nap. Mm -hmm. And so like trying to get all of us in the car ready to go, we're trying to keep her awake in the car so that she doesn't fall asleep in the car so that she'll nap properly. And we're all very stressed. And then of course, uh, you know, just, just to add it on there, you know, my daughter happens to just like spit up all over herself and we're just <laughs> like, yep. Cause that makes sense. Yep. That would happen right now. And then, so like my wife's trying to like clean up our daughter in the car seat while I'm trying to like kind of drive faster to get home, but also not drive too fast that the spit up just keeps coming. And so there was some, there was some yelling. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so just like little, you know, those types of things I feel like is where the wrench comes in, you know, right. um, for sure. Right. So. Well, uh, you know, speaking of wrenches, uh, you know, you had mentioned, um, you know, that there, as, as you, as you evolve, things kind of just happened. Well, my wife and I are right now in that position where, you know, like you, um, in these early phases, my wife has done virtually all of the overnight feedings, unless she asks me. And my principle has always been like, if you ask me, I'll always say yes. And you just have to ask, but you just you, you know, you let me know when, when it's needed. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, um, you know, she also, she pumps, which means that we have milk ready to Iron. go in the fridge and there's oh. really, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, she's a really wonderful wife, so she pumps my tires a lot. She's really, really nice. Uh -huh. Um, yeah. Um, so the, uh, you know, we always have milk ready to go in the fridge and that means in the middle, the middle of the night, there's no reason why I can't do it. So we're right now in that kind of transition period where I can do more of those now. And so we're in a position where we're, um, you know, we're starting to transition away from it being all her, all her with me a, a few times into kind of a, mostly her, but, uh, you know, a bit more me, at least having that option. So my question was, you know, I'm hearing from a lot of people, I've heard some people choosing to go to the bottle very early on for that reason alone. And um, you know, for that reason that you can divide up feedings more so. And, I, and my question to you is, first off, how, how did you, you know, I know that you were saying your daughter's an excellent sleeper, once again, screw you. Um, but when, <laughs> when in that sort of middle of the night, did you have a point where it transitioned from being all her or mostly her into more of you? And was that something that you had to talk about or how did you make that change? Cause I, I genuinely need to know that. I am going to be absolutely no help to you. Um, because probably pretty close to like eight weeks old, she slept like eight hours a night. 
Um, so, all right, Christian. Well, you enjoy the rest of this podcast. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm, gonna, I'm so know. sorry. I'm so sorry. I know you guys, the listeners, can't see us, but we're like video chatting right now. And Chris, just like I got the look, which was just go f yourself. Um, uh, yeah. So um, I'm probably the least qualified person to ask this, um, but um, but I will say that it was very much a in the for us anyway we didn't really talk about it ahead of time it was very much uh kind of like you mentioned eh, where you said like if you ask me i will say yes and it was very much a when i was able to do it um then i made sure to try and i probably tried and failed but i tried to volunteer as much as i could because chris as you are aware and to all the mothers out there so incredibly badass what you guys are able to do um, mm, just with like absolutely. breastfeeding, but then also pumping. And it's just like what it's anyway. Um, so I tried to make sure that I was doing it as much as I can, knowing that my wife was taking most of the load as it was. Um, but I feel like it was very much a in the moment thing. And then for us also kind of just with our work schedules, um, because also listeners keep in mind uh, down here in America, um, my wife went back to work very early. Um, and mm. so we were navigating work schedules much sooner. Um, right. And so it was one of those, like, for example, if I was off the subsequent day, then it was me who got up because then my wife could sleep. Um, right. And then if she went to work and I was just tired at home during the day, that was easier um, or whatever. Or if it was one of those where like, and we've definitely done this where we've definitely, you know, you know, she's. Uh, daughter's woken up or whatever and this and that and then one of us looks at the other and just goes i can't and then the right. other one says okay then i will yeah. and yeah. Um, and to be honest with you i don't i don't really have a good answer for you as to how that came about but i will say that one of our classmates and her husband they have two girls and what they told us is uh and both uh, they had their first child before ours was born. Um, and they had this kind of like tap out rule that they have for each other, which was just like if one person was just like fed up, like, you know, whatever it was, that they just had the ability to just like tap out and be like, no, I'm done. Um, because right. the last thing you want to do is resent your child for anything. Um, and or, you know, in that moment or whatever. So we definitely they told us that and we tried to incorporate that a little bit. So we've definitely used that where it's just been like, nope, I'm too frustrated. I'm too tired. I'm done. And the other one would just be like, all right, my turn. It's um, so. a really good rule. And it speaks to the the openness you're talking about. I, I really can't stress enough to people the importance of openness and, and openness being very specifically just communicating what's on your mind. Um, in a, in kind of like a non-aggressive way, it solves so many problems when you are young, new parents, um, just saying, this is how I'm feeling, or I need this to happen. You know, you're, you're there for each other. So it, you know, you just need to say it and it is so much better to say it than to resent someone because they're not just doing it. Or something. Well, and you know, the ability you... also, and, um, I say this about marriage a lot too. That makes it sound like I talk a lot about marriage. That's not exactly what I was trying to imply, but it's one of those like when you get married or when you enter into, you know, pick your, you know, arrangement, covenant, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, whether it's, again, having a child together or that type of thing, 
realizing that it's not like, okay, how much you do versus how much I do. It's just how much we do. Like, it's just one, Mm. you're just one team, you know, you're both, you know, whether one of you goes off for a triple double or, or, you know, or whatever that particular day, like it's all just how much you accomplish as a unit. And so if you start to go, well, I did this. And so you should do this. I think you're sunk. Um, and, or are, I guess are, are bound for a frustration of some kind, um, right. for sure. And so that's where you just kind of, you know, some, somebody picks up the team one time, somebody picks up the team another time and that's, you know, and that's yeah. just how it is. And, and especially early on, I mean, there's no getting around the fact just if we're being as honest as we can. Um, I mean, our, in the early phases, our wives are doing so much more work, you know, uh, mm-hmm. than we are, and we are just, we are just trying to do any possible thing we can do to make them happy. I, I think, you know, I'll, we've been, we've been chatting here for a while. So I'll close out the segment by, by echoing something you said earlier, which is just the incredible workload, uh, that mothers do. I mean, my, my wife and I have been together for nearly 10 years and we've spent so much of our university lives together and then our early careers together. So seeing each other work and like you get this, idea or impression of what the other person is like in terms of their ability to handle work and stress and then a child comes along and then she's just crushing it like doing such a great job and being 10 times a more efficient and effective person than I can ever be and I'm like how can I possibly do 50% of what you're doing you're yeah I was happy I put on pants (laughs) yeah I know it's amazing so I uh well I look forward to uh you know, seeing how these roles develop for, for me over the next few months to the place where you're at now and seeing how your roles develop, uh, you know, as your daughter gets older and older. Chris, but I, I got we'll, Chris, uh, I want to ask you yeah, a question. Ahead, I don't want to interrupt, but I, I got to ask you a question before to, before we close this out. Mm. Uh, true or false. Okay. Um, because I felt this way, you watching your wife become a mother is hands down the most badass thing you've ever seen her do. Yeah, true. Oh man, true. Like it's not even Isn't it incredible? Close. There's nothing there's nothing that compares. And like, you know, you might Where like, do they learn it from? Yeah. Like it just it just happens. And, and to do it so naturally and like with a smile, I mean not every moment is smiling, but like just to have this positive attitude that you know, I did, I did a residency. I had work weeks that my longest work week was over 120 hours. And here I am feeling good about myself. And then I see my wife, like, you know, just blow that out of the water, you know, and be on call 24 hours a day. And, and just, it's impressive AF for sure. Yeah, it really is. And, and it opens your eyes as to what hard work really is. Oh, and then by the way, they're also doctors, but yeah, yeah, BT dubs. Yeah. Just, you know, BT dubs. Uh, closing statement. Our wives, wonderful rock stars. If you're we love you. All right, they're not listening. We're going <laughs> to take a break. Uh, we're going to come back and uh, and we'll go from there. You are listening to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. We'll talk to you in a bit. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. My name is Christian, alongside my co-host and friend of a decade-long entity, Chris. And um, 
we're coming back to the show here. And Chris, um, we're going to go into a recurring segment in a minute. Um, but um, I feel like I do need to do a little bit of a, a little bit of a Canadian uh, homerism here. And the reason I'm doing this, uh, this particular um, segment this week is because my mom texted me last week and she was like, oh, aren't you super excited? And I was like, about what? And she was like, the Scotties are on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you don't know what the Scotties nobody are, and I have to explain nope. Nobody to knows. <laughs> no American who's listening to this has any idea what you're talking about I'm speaking right now. strictly to the Canadians in the group, and I'm okay with that. And so I immediately got excited. And I'm not going to explain what they are until the segment, and that's on purpose. Um, and I got so excited but then so upset because I can't watch TSN in the States. So I can't stream them live. So you can't, you, you can't put, put it on at all. No. At all. So, oh. but then I got elated because then I found out that my ESPN plus subscription allowed me to stream them on TSN three. Unbelievable. And wow. so then I kid you not, I watched every single draw that I could. And there I am sitting there on the couch and I'm just like, oh, she, she's really got to go intern draw to the forefoot. And my wife's looking at me like, what did you just say? And I'm just yeah. like, um, I miss Canada so much. <laughs> anyway, so the the, the uh, recurring segment that we're going to do this week um is called the top five non-major sports or sports events that you enjoy watching. And this recurring segment is called Countdown. And so I will now bring the Americans into the conversation. The Scotties, um, as they're called, are not a breed of dog. Um, they are not a country of people. They are, in fact, the Scotties Tournament of Hearts, which is the Canadian Women's curling championship and um it is something that i feel like is a staple it's one of those like you know when you hear the theme song of something come on and just like everything is okay in the world because your soul is smiling love me some just like vic router and brian mudrick on tsn3 um <laughs> and so I'm messaging my brother about it and I'm just like, man, it's like Saturday, the 10 30 AM draw. And I'm just like, man, I never knew I missed Brian Mudrick so much until now. And my brother's response is nah, man, it's Vic router or bust. <laughs> <laughs> Vic router. Vic router is absolutely incredible. One of my favorite, favorite calls. Vic router is a play-by-play -play commentator of everything Canadian. He does CFL. He does curling. He's done soccer. He's done a whole bunch of stuff. And so he will occasionally call a beautifully weighted stone that goes right to the button, a honey. And so he's been calling a few, a honey, you know, and then this was during the briar, the male equivalent of the Scotties and someone coming up next Friday, by the way, to those of you who are interested. <laughs> a beautifully turning stone, perfectly weighted. And you go, oh, do, do we have another honey here? This could be another honey. Honey, I'm home! <laughs> uh, oh, Vic Router. And as you rightly say, it's such a wholesome sport. It just fills you with warmth. Uh, it was number four on my list was the Scotties and the Briars. So I'm sorry, you go ahead. So um, anyway, it just got me going into... Um, just the different 
you know, weird sporting events or, you know, those types of things that, uh, you know, that we get into that aren't the major um, sporting events. So, Chris, I'm very intrigued. Can you give me your top five non-major? So I'm going to say like, you know, the big four, as we call them, uh, non-major sports or sporting events um, that you set your watch to every year. Absolutely. I would be happy to. I loved this question because like you, I'm a, a, an, an unfortunately and embarrassingly deep uh, sports nerd. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. So I've um, the way I interpreted the question was basically no NHL, no MLB, no NFL, no NBA. Um, and soccer is kind of a gray area. So I said no Premier League or Major League Soccer, you know, but Anyway, I I, re, I mean Toronto FC and Major League Soccer is one of my favorite teams of all time, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave them out for the purposes of this question. Sure, yeah, okay. understood. So, um, number five is One Day International or T20, also known as 2020 cricket. Um, cricket is kind of like golf and like curling in that it's one of these sports that you put on TV and it's, you're not, at least for me, I mean, of course I, I understand the, the rabidness of the sport around the world. Um, for me, it's sort of a, a beautifully calm and warm background where, um, you know, you're, you're really engaging with the event more than you're engaging with the moment, if that makes sense. Sure. So cricket largely exists in three forms. There's test match cricket, which is what you and I think of, what I think most Canadians yeah. think of when you mention cricket. It's a five-day event. Everybody wears white. There's only uh, 10 countries in the world at one time that are largely allowed to play. Um, and, uh, you know, it. you have to be really into cricket because to understand the value of the test, you have to be really uh, engaged with it for all five days. I really enjoy ODI, which is one day international. So it's cricket that takes place over one day. This is the major form used in the Cricket World Cup or the big exploding form of cricket, which is 2020. So this is designed to be like baseball. The, the teams wear very bright, colorful jerseys. It's designed to take about uh, three hours, a whole match so it's like a baseball game and really fundamentally the most important thing for a non-cricket watcher to understand about how cricket works is the first team goes first racks up as many can as run racks up as many runs as they can and then number team uh, team number two goes and has to try and beat it and if they can beat it they win in, in this with the same number um in the same amount of time and if they can't beat it then they lose and it's really you know it starts so slow but one, what hooked me was uh, a 2020 event from India where it, it was like the last few balls of the match. And it's so close. And with every delivered ball, you're thinking like this, this could be either the end of the game or uh, they, they, could, they could hit a six and they could win. And, and it was just so my heart was pounding and I didn't give a shit about either team and i uh i just loved it so See, that's why um, i love baseball so much people find baseball so boring but like every pitch has an infinite number of possibilities absolutely which is why There's, i love it so much it's a chess match absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. um so that that's number five um number four is european soccer um but again i i stepped away from like uh you know they what we call the big five leagues in europe which is the Premier League in England, Bundesliga in Germany, Serie A in Italy, uh, La Liga, <clears throat> excuse me, 
um, uh, La Liga in Spain and Liga in France. So um, in this category, I included all the European soccer teams that I follow outside of those big five leagues, uh, of which my favorite is Feyenoord uh, in the Dutch top division, which was my Oma's team when she was growing up uh, before she left Rotterdam. And so I was first hooked on them playing World Cup 1994 on my Nintendo at home. And uh, she she said, uh, you know, you got to pick Feyenoord. So, you know, I was like five years old at the time and uh, they've been my team ever since. Uh, my wife and I got hooked on Heart of Midlothian and the Scottish Premiership when we went to a match during our honeymoon. Um, and my stepmom's family is from the northeast coast of England uh, near Middlesbrough. So I sport Middlesbrough in the championship. Um, so I, uh, I, every, the, the great thing about European soccer is that it's on Saturday and Sunday mornings. So it doesn't take away from Hockey Night in Canada. It doesn't take away from the NFL on Sunday. Yeah, priorities. Uh, yeah, you can watch you can watch um, European soccer from like seven a.m. here until uh, like three in the afternoon, and uh, then you can perfectly transition into hockey night in Canada. So we should get um, Carl on the show one of these days. Carl is a, a friend of ours um, who is from England, now a father of a young daughter. Oh, and, that Carl! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, he's he's gonna kill me. It's Liverpool or Arsenal, and I can never remember which, and he's going to kill me. I think it's Liverpool. Wait, who does Salah? Who does Mo Salah play for? Liverpool. Okay, then it's Liverpool. Um, and I remember we were up there visiting. Long story short, we you know had a few um, adult beverages the night before, and we were staying over at their place. And uh, and then he was like up just like 7 a.m., like clockwork, the whole thing, like jersey, scarf you know, took yeah. the whole bit. And I was just like, well, I, I got to do it or else I'm going to look like a wimp. So there I am just like <laughs> hung over as I'll get out, just trying to get out of bed to like get to the TV. And he's like, all right, let's go. He's cracking a beer. And I was just like, you're so cool. <laughs> so anyway, um, that's beauty. I love that. And that's, that is absolutely the experience. What, what the NFL encapsulates in its perfect Sunday experience, the Premier League encapsulates that on Saturdays, uh, which is really great. Uh, number three on my list was what we've already mentioned was curling, uh, the Scotties and Briar, but also Olympic curling. Um, yeah, it's hard to describe, I think, to Americans. I think the best way would be college football and college basketball is something that is very part of your culture. It's something you grow up with. You know, it's what your family supports, where, where you're from. And I think curling is like that for us. Um, it's, it's so positive, you know, it's two teams of four, it's shuffleboard, a shuffleboard on ice for two teams of four. Um, and there's so much positivity in the sport. Nobody is hurting each other. And there's so much of a mental game behind it. You, you know, you're really thinking about every shot. Um, and before you know it, you're shouting hurry hard at the TV. Um, so the Scotties is the national Canadian championship for women. So each of the provinces uh, competes on their own. And, you know, of course, Ontario is huge, so it's further subdivided. Um, and the Briar is the equivalent for men. And then in the Olympics, you get to support Canada. But um, just since I know that you've already mentioned the Scotties and the Briar, I'm going to put a little plug in for one of, I think, the coolest up-and-coming curling sports, which is mixed doubles. It's So curling is traditionally a four-on-four sport. Uh, and men play together or women play together, but mixed doubles is exactly what it sounds like. It's teams of two. So it's much harder. You have one person who's sweeping rather than two, and you have nobody in the house to, um, 
to to basically be your your marker. Um, so it's very difficult. It's an actual it's an athletic form of curling, and uh, it's a growing form of curling in curling clubs in Canada. Um, so it's really fascinating. They just debuted watch. that at the most recent Winter Olympics, did they not? I believe that is right. Yep, I believe that is right. Who won and, the gold uh, for that again? Uh, Canada was in the final, and we won. We won. It was uh, was yeah. I already Holman, knew that. I was uh, just Rachel, I was just, Rachel yeah. Holman and was just Kevin Martin, injured. I think, wasn't it? Um, oh, I thought it was and, Caitlin uh, Laws and John Morris. Uh, oh my God, it was Caitlin Laws and John Morris. Yeah, well, I'm embarrassed there. Yes, it was John Morris and Caitlin Laws. He's so jacked. <laughs> He's isn't he a firefighter? Or he something? is a firefighter. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Right. Which also um, that makes sense, but anyway, <laughs> right. Yeah, because I, you know, in case somebody's reading through the lines here, curling is not a lucrative sport. So, uh, oh yeah, they were all have yeah, yeah. I was gonna say actual professions. They have other professions, but yeah, right. Um, So number two uh, is something, Christian, that I know that you know uh, about me very well, which is that since I was knee high to a grasshopper, um, I think I started when I was maybe three years old. My dad started taking me to the Kitchener Rangers. Kitchener Rangers. The Ontario Hockey League. So junior hockey in Canada is largely the equivalent of like what junior hockey in Canada is to the NHL, NCAA football is to the NFL. Mm. I guess that's probably a fair comparison. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Before you make the show. Um, And so many NHL players have played in Kitchener. John Gibson, Jeff Skinner, Larry Robinson, Bill Barber, Derek Roy, Mike Richards. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, But these are university-age kids, largely. um, And it's a very tight, community-oriented environment. So the arena seats 6,500, and there are 7,000 people there every game. It's standing room all around around the arena. I know you've been to a Kitchener Rangers game. It's packed. It's electric. It's loud. Teddy bear tossed. Teddy Bear Toss. Yeah, once a year, they, um, they for charity, the first time Kitchener scores, uh, everybody throws a teddy bear on the ice, and it takes like 45 minutes to clean up because there's a launch of thousands of bears. Um, but it's very community-oriented. You see the same people in the same seats every game. You have the same conversations. You get your Tim Hortons, and you sit there, and you talk. Many times I've been in standing room with NHL scouts beside me on either side, and you get... I remember one, we were talking about Michael Dalcali and he was telling me why he didn't think he would be a star someday. I mean, it's just really, really interesting stuff. And it's as close as you can get to hockey, I think, um, at that level. And uh, it's something that me and my dad cherish. It's something that he and I are, that, that bonds us and has bonded us for a long time. And it's really rewarding seeing young players go on to long careers in hockey, but also long careers in other things because, you know, many of them make the NHL, but many of them don't, um, you know, and to see them go on to careers in management or sometimes you'll see them become police chiefs or, or whatever it is, you know, and it, it really is rewarding to, to kind of see that development. Um, and number one, this might be cheating because I've mentioned the sport before, but it's, it's different in a lot of different ways. So I've mentioned Toronto FC, um, but number one for me would be all Canadian soccer. More specifically, um, we're in a really cool position in Canada um, in that our our sort of soccer history has been just a complete dumpster fire for the last uh, the last century, largely. Um, and Short so- of. I feel like what the women's soccer has done over the past little while, I will say for sure. So I apologize. And I take that back. Women's soccer in Canada is off the charts, an incredible team. Um, 
what was it? Back-to-back bronze, Olympic bronze medals, right? I'll say at least on the, I'm speaking more on the international level, but. uh, Right, on the international level, absolutely. Um, But on the domestic level, we are one of the few countries on the planet to have not had a fully sanctioned and fully professional domestic league outside of MLS, where we have three Canadian teams, Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto in an American league. Um, a unique feature of Canadian Canadiana having professional teams in, in American leagues. Um, but we now have our own fully professional Canadian league called the Canadian Premier League. Um, and Hamilton, as you know. Forge um, FC. Forge FC, owned by Bob Young. Um, caretaker Bob. He, yeah, that's what he calls himself, right? A caretaker. He's the owner of the team, but he sees it. His role is not to own it, but to just take care of the team, which I think is really cool. Um, and he... Um, uh, he owns Forge FC, which is the Hamilton team, who have now um, qualified for the CONCACAF, so North American, um, sort of next stage, not quite the Champions League, but the one below it three years in a row, um, which is really incredible. And it's so exciting, again, kind of like the Kitchen Rangers, to see these young players come up um, and potentially uh, make a name for themselves. And it's so rare that you get to see a nation establish its own professional league in soccer. It's really unheard of worldwide. Um, and it's really, really cool to follow. I feel like um, it's so almost I like it's sports in its purest form. I, you know, like you know, the minor I, league aspect, because like that's really all they're there for, because that's all, you know what I mean? That's that's well said. Yeah, I like that. It's It's sports... That is completely separate from entertainment, from yeah. storyline. I mean, it's, it's there. It's you're really there unadulterated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just as I, I think I said in a previous episode, you know, going, I remember as a child going with my mom to Ottawa Lynx games, AAA, and getting, you know, meeting the players and talking to them, just unheard of things um, that have always stuck with me since my childhood. And, and you can do that with the Canadian Premier League. So I do not ever miss a Forge FC game um, ever, ever. And I've separated them from European soccer because not only do they play in the evenings, but they also play in the summertime. So you can get soccer year round and at a different time of day. And it's important to support local sports. So number one is Canadian soccer for me overall, but specifically the Canadian premier league. Well, and that's my five. You're making this Hamilton boy smile um, with your <laughs> FC fandom right there. So that's, uh, that's fantastic. Um, Hot damn. Alrighty. In the interest of keeping this segment shorter, um, I'll go through mine a little bit quicker, um, but because uh, we have a couple that are the same. Um, but I will start with my top top five here. I'm going to give a quick honorable mention, if I may, to March Madness. Mm -hmm. Um, I realize it's kind of one of the major sports, you know, basketball, but uh, there's just something, you know, about just, uh, you know, watching the, uh, you know, 16 seeds, you know, randomly, you know, upset, you know, one seeds or like the big things or you're just like, you have no idea who the point guard for like Middle East Tennessee Christian <laughs> is, but somehow they're like taking Duke or Kansas to overtime or something like that. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, it's their three point <laughs> shooting. And you're like, you don't know what you're talking about, but you're all in on the madness. So yeah, you know, you pick a bracket, you have no idea what you're doing. So uh, honorable mention to, to March Madness, but um, number five for me um, is actually the Women's College World Series. I wow. love this tournament. I honestly don't watch. I'm a baseball nut. And I don't watch any um, male college baseball. Just don't. Not my bag. The Women's College World Series, I am glued to 
Um, you know, Chris, the Glee episode of Community where they're just like, yeah, and then it's on the East Regionals and then semi-national semis and then semi-regionals. <laughs> they have all these different things and I am in it from beginning to end. And really? I had so no idea. Fascinating. It's fascinating. These girls can play. And so they uh, obviously are playing a softball, but fast pitch. And so they're they're not throwing from 60 feet, six inches. But so they're playing at or at a you know reduced uh, distance. But their equivalent, if you extrapolate it, is they're throwing a hundred miles per hour. Like if you extrapolate it to the sixty feet six inches, it's a hundred right. miles per hour. And wow, it is absolutely insane to watch these girls play. They're in it like it's just it's there's some type of I don't I don't even know what the word about it because I'm not trying to diminish it, but they're doing the cheers. And, you know, all this type of stuff and everything is like just so pumped. And like, it's just, it's a fantastic tournament to watch start to finish. It's played in Omaha and uh, I don't know why I love it so much, but I, I just, I do. Um, and that's I step great, my watch to it every year. Um, I love that. Can I ask you a question sure. about that? Just a genuine question because you, uh, I mean, as our listeners know, you, you love and play baseball. Like you have experience in the inner workings of, of baseball. So yes. what I'm curious about, and again, forgive my total ignorance on this, but my understanding was that largely the men's game, you have what we call baseball or hardball, overhand, fast pitch, and then uh, softball, uh, underhand, slow pitch, you know. Um, and that the, the women's game was often softball. But, you know, you and I were sharing an article earlier of a, of a 15-year-old uh, um, female uh, hardball baseball pitcher in BC throwing something like 68, 70 miles an hour yeah. or something like that. Why, why is it that the women's game has so much softball in it? And is there a movement to introduce, you know, hardball overhand uh, baseball uh, into the women's game? Um, I, I mean, full disclosure, I actually, I actually really don't have a good answer for you. Um, but I, I'm going to guess um, and and wager that it is probably the what is the end result, meaning that there isn't really a professional women's hardball mm. that I so know that I know yeah. of. I will say that I right. know of. And again, forgive my total ignorance, but there is. For example, professional women's softball um, in the United States, and there's also right. Olympic women's softball as well. So I think the end result of kind of the heights that you can reach, um, whether it's professionally or otherwise, I think really only exists in softball. Um, Makes sense. Now it I hope that changes. But, a change to right, ball. exactly. Yeah. So now I obviously like everything. I hope that changes. Um, but, right. um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm going to guess that's probably it. Um, you know, much like in a lot of women's college sports, you know, if there is a professional level to it, it's going to be a little bit more lucrative probably, um, right. in, in its attention. But anyway, women's college world series, number five, number four. So I have the curling Scotties and Briar. We kind of went over that. Um, so I'll skip right by that one. Um, number three for me is tennis. Mm. Um, I love me some tennis. Um, and, uh, my daughter was born during the French open. Um, so I was up early watching, um, <laughs> on, uh, court Philippe Chatrier, 
um, center court at uh, in Paris um, watching that. I am full team Roger Federer. Um, mm. I'm team Serena Williams. Um, and, um, you know, all you Rafael Nadal fans get out of here. Um, he is a phenomenal tennis player. I, I, you, you can't argue that, but I am team Roger through and through. Um, what are your thoughts on, uh, Felix Ojea, Ali Asim and Denis Shapovalov and Milos Raonic and, uh, uh, Eugenie Bouchard and sort of the, the, you know, the, this new influx of Canadian tennis players. Has that been something that you've sort of followed and watched or is it difficult to get coverage of them, uh, in the States? What, uh, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, no, I, I, you can, we can follow them pretty well. Uh, Bianca Andreescu, um, as one we have to add in oh, there as well. How could I not um, mention the yeah, major champion. Absolutely. Um, but, um, yeah, I, this is an incredibly exciting time for Canadian tennis. Um, because I feel like now you mentioned, uh, uh, Vashik Pospisil, uh, we have to add in there. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, for a while it was kind of like our one tennis player was like Daniel Nestor and he played doubles, <laughs> right. um, doubles, yeah. you know? And great, great uh, at doubles. That's oh, great. I mean, yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Yeah, um, yeah, and then you, Eugenie Bouchard had her little run in Wimbledon there. Um, and now, now we've got, you know, four Canadian men inside the top, uh, inside the top 50, um, three of which are ranked right now. Um, and, uh, no, it's, it's really, it's really impressive, uh, what they're doing. And even just, uh, for those of you who are unaware of what Davis cup is, which is kind of like the world cup of tennis kind of, um, you know, just seeing Canada being able to, actually really compete they actually made the finals last year um and then lost to uh serbia but um but uh, uh but yeah no it's 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 really really exciting um uh, but uh, there's just nothing smoother than a roger federer backhand and uh <laughs> and then he like flips his hair after he does it and you're just like gosh you're yeah. beautiful, man. <laughs> um so it's just yes yeah, it's just not fair um but uh in a lot of ways but uh you know number three tennis for me again i watch all the like random little tournaments um, and I'm just like, you know, my wife will be like, what do you watch? And I'll be like, ah, it's tune up time in clay court season. She'll be like, God, you're <laughs> weird. Um, but, uh, tennis for me, number three, uh, number two for me, you mentioned minor hockey and I'm just going to briefly quick, uh, say, uh, my, my dad and I had uh, seasons tickets. Hamilton got, uh, the Bulldogs not too long ago. And for the first two seasons there, we, they, they were an AHL team. They became an OHL team. We had seasons tickets. Um, for those first two seasons and it was the best I got to sit with mm -hmm. my dad like you said there were maybe 2,500 people on a given night um, because the, the bigger games on the weekends were more full but like Tuesday night downtown Hamilton against you know the Barry Colts or something like that and uh, um, or you know the Niagara Ice Dogs or one of those and uh, just like the same usher you know every time yeah, I, yeah. like any newest yep. by name you know, he like, it was like they, they knew your coffee order pretty much like you, you were mentioning. So just such a cool environment. But so I'm going to change my number two a little bit and I'm going to go world junior hockey championships. Mm. Oh, Boxing man. day. Great choice. Every oh. time there is nothing you can say to being like, I really don't care that I'm watching Kazakhstan, Slovenia at 3 a.m. in Helsinki, <laughs> Finland. It does not matter. Um, I am watching it. Um, and yeah, absolutely. You know, Canada, US, you know, the whole like New Year's Eve battle or, or whatever, or, you know, those types of things. Um, but uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Because like, as you mentioned with the NHL, a lot of those kids are, well, they're all 19 and under, and uh, they're all pretty much NHL prospects, um, for the most part. Um, so they're all or already drafted. Um, uh, yeah, some of them. certainly so, on, on, on the big, big five teams. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's mine, again, no matter where it's it is in the world. 
uh, I'm watching sort of that Canadian tradition because of the time of year, you know, first game, typically boxing day or Christmas day. So it becomes almost a family event. Like people in your family who don't watch hockey, of course, they're going to cheer for Canada and it's at Christmas time. So you're all together. So of course you're going to watch it together. It's one of those sports that sort of brings your family together, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, typically off for the holidays or at least a, a portion of that, you know, boxing day, obviously being a stat holiday in Canada and then new year's, you know, like the big, you know, those ones. So, um, so I'll, uh, I'll throw a little audible in mine and say world junior hockey championships. Uh, number one for me, again, I'm cheating a little bit here, um, in that I am using football, but I'm specifically going to say the CFL. Mm. Um, oh, and I know no. I mentioned, yeah, I know that's big shock. Right. Um, but, uh, as I mentioned in previous episodes, you know, the, I bleed black and gold, uh, my, from growing up with my late godfather going to games at Iverwind stadium back when it was like the really gross splintered, like wooden benches that we sat on to having seasons tickets for now, I'm going to say 17 years. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, and now that they have Tim Horton's field, like the, the friendships that I've made, the forever friendships, the, um, you know, the memories doing all that type of stuff. I can't wait to take my daughter to her first game, the Labor Day mm-hmm. classic, the gray cup. It's all just, um, yeah, it's, it's unparalleled to me. Um, so, um, and again, just being from Hamilton, you know, having that kind of, um, staple in the city, um, in, in that time. Uh, so, um, for me, there it is. So number one, CFL. So, um, yeah, man, those are fun. Um, and so just in the interest of, uh, you know, moving right along, cause we've, uh, <laughs> we've, we've taken a lot of time here already in this episode. So we're going to keep this, uh, we're going to keep this moving right along. Every uh, single episode we say that we're going to, this is going to be faster than the last one. And every episode is longer than the last one. I'm, I don't know how that happens. We're going to reach a critical mass at some point. <laughs> But uh, Chris, you alluded to it earlier in the episode, and I'm I'm interested in your thoughts on this because it's it's a little bit related to a previous episode that we talked about, which is kind of hospital stories, uh, where we talked about kind of you know how our medical knowledge kind of crashes into this um, wave of new fatherhood and all this type of stuff. And I'm going to mention it because um, we were recently at the pediatrician. Uh, long story short, uh, my daughter had a bit of a skin rash on her chin that we had to then go, uh, you know, get uh, checked out and, you know, this, that and the other thing. She's doing wonderful. Um, you know, she's fine, healed, all of that good stuff. But it was just really interested because before that it had kind of our, our pediatrician visits had been mostly, you know, vaccination based, you know, preventative medicine based. Um, but um, it, this was our our first real kind of sick visit, if I can call it that. Um and so, Chris, I'm curious what your thoughts are, or I guess I'll I'll start by saying my first question will be was what has your initial experience been being a new father, uh, but also a doctor, um, and taking your child to the pediatrician? Hmm. That's a very good question. Um, well, I think there's a few important wrinkles I should mention. I, I think the first important wrinkle is COVID. And so a lot of the conversations that I have had have been phone-based. Um, mm. And so the in-person face-to-face contact and communication has been 
largely with my wife. And so mine has been more over the phone. Um, and, and that doesn't change things a lot. I mean, it's the same type of conversations. Um, but I, I would have to throw in the caveat that my, my perspective could change if I, were a la- if I were able to form a bit more of a relationship with our uh, pediatrician by being there in person um, and, and kind of seeing how things operate in, in that way. Um, that's not to say I haven't seen our pediatrician at the hospital. I did. Um, and then when we were going back to the hospital for the first few weeks, but since then, um, it's been largely phone-based. So I think this would be Important. I mean, we, you and I spent a lot of time in, in one of our previous episodes talking about, you know, how Canada has uh, an excellent maternity system uh, relative to other systems. And, you know, I think, it, again, pros and cons, we won't dive into it, but there is a, a much different healthcare system in Canada where I largely, you know, you don't pay a cent for healthcare. Um, however, one of the downsides that comes with that is the lack of availability of specialty care. Um, And what that means is that our pediatrician is actually a family physician, not a pediatrician. So in the first month, we had a specialty pediatrician at the hospital. Um, And our our conversations with the pediatrician were largely based on two things. One was in hospital. And for the first few days after the hospital, um, she had jaundice. And so um, that was something that was being monitored. And she was also losing weight during that time. Hmm. And so um, that, you know, it provided some mild anxiety, but it was a medical issue that needed addressing. Um, And since then, she's been, you know, the picture of health and our visits have been largely vaccine-based without us ever having to um, deal with any kind of medical problems. Thank, Thank goodness, knock on wood. Um, I would say that my experiences have been, I'll divide it into my experiences with the pediatrician in the hospital were quite strong. Um, I would say that I had total faith in the system. Um, they, they did not know that they also did not ask and, and I did not offer that we were veterinarians um, until kind of near the end of the conversation. Um, I would say that perhaps somewhat relative to veterinary medicine, um, there is, there's less conversation, you know, there's less explanation of what's going on. There's less discussion. They'll answer questions if you ask them, but they won't offer a lot of information otherwise. Um, and so that's not, I, I understand that the reality behind that is the incredible workload that they have, just the, um, you know, if, if we're saying, if I'm sitting here saying pediatricians aren't available, that means that the ones that do have patients are probably filled to the brim um, with workload. And so I would say maybe one of the differences compared to what I see in, in our hospitals would be um, less conversation and just less sort of offering of information. It's the, the goal here is, is she healthy? Yes or no. Is she going to live? Yes or no. Uh, what do we need to change? This is what we're going to do. And they move on. So everything is very quick, um, and sort of bing, bing, bang, boom. Um, otherwise very professional. So a professional bedside manner, um, but, but certainly not, uh, not, not offering a lot of training or additional information. 
the second half with the family doctor, uh, that was a bit of a new experience because, as you know, we've changed to a new city. Uh, my wife and I have, have moved cities, so my family doctor is in a different city. Her family doctor is in a different city, so we had to find a new family doctor, both for the both of us, uh, but also for our daughter. So may I interrupt and, you right there? So yeah, you're, you're now yeah. saying, because uh, that's actually a really fascinating um, thing that you just brought up, which I don't know that I ever actually considered because I just... Went, we went to a pediatrician and still are. Um, but I didn't, I didn't even think about the lack of, again, I don't want to say lack of specialty care, but you mentioned it kind of just that there's such a, a, a demand for it that it's not necessarily feasible within the system. So are you saying that when you moved cities that you were getting a family doctor that now the three of you have the same family doctor or at least within the same practice? That is correct. Yep, that's correct. So we have the exact same family doctor. Interesting. Okay. Um, I still, it's, I mean, we're just in that transition period now. So I still am a patient and have an existing relationship with my family doctor in my previous city. And he's been my family doctor for my, I mean, almost my entire life. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a bit of a new experience for, for me as a patient. Um, but uh, yeah, for, for the three of us, we have a family doctor. Family doctors in Canada are, are trained in sort of basic pediatrics. So um, I have no qualms going there for what I would say, you know, healthy, general preventative care. So all the vaccines, very standard, you know, basic examinations. Um, but I also wonder how I might feel if she were to be ill or we were to have a more serious problem or we had more serious questions would we would we be more worried that we didn't have immediate access to a pediatrician? Um, I think in that scenario, we might feel more inclined to go to the hospital um, rather than, um, you know, just completely rely on our family doctor. So it does throw a bit of a wrench in it. And as much as I do really love our, our healthcare system, you know, there are, there are some downsides, and that's one of them. Hmm. That's a really interesting uh, perspective, which again, as we mentioned kind of in a previous episode with the maternity leave conversation, you know, I grew up always just kind of assuming the Canadian system for a lot of things. Um, and now I've moved to the United States. And so now that's all I know, right? Like I only know, I, or I should say, not that all that I know, that's all that I've experienced is the maternity leave in New York State. But now I've right. also only known the pediatrics or, you know, the healthcare system from a parent's perspective in the United States. Um, so our daughter, like we've, she's only seen a pediatrician, um, you know, specialized pediatrics. Um, now, that being said, they are part of a larger family medicine practice of which, you know, that they see adults and, you know, their family doctors and GPs and that type of thing, but they also have specifically pediatricians um, who we have seen for for all of our our daughter's care. Um, and so then I guess my question, my my next question is: so you talked about which we've referenced on a previous um, podcast episode, uh, which was the jaundice factor, and mm. uh, you also mentioned losing weight. Actually, my daughter uh, lost weight. I was going to say a considerable amount. That makes it sound worse than I mean it. But we went there a few extra times just to make sure that her weight loss was not going down when she left the hospital. Yes. Um, 
so my question for you is this, because you were mentioning it was, you know, it's minorly concerning. At least, you know, we have some medical knowledge about what is happening. So it's one of those things that we know happens, but it doesn't make it any less concerning to us. How do you feel like you maneuvered, um, or I guess even did you have to maneuver your medical mind that is, okay, I have all this medical information. Most of it's regarding animals, but I have a basic level of, you know, at least pathophysiology, I suppose. How do you grapple that side of your brain with the, um, with the new dad side of your brain? Um, hmm. if that makes sense. I'm very curious about how you kind of manipulated those two landscapes together. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. <clears throat> so I think when it, one, of the, one of the nice things, if I could say nice things when it comes to weight loss, is that in the absence of other, you know, obvious and severe gastrointestinal or uh, hepatic liver disease, you know, weight loss is a pretty simple ins and outs equation. And you know if they're losing weight, it is a function of limited calories, not having enough calories. Um, and I think, you know, I know that we're, I know that we're going to come to this topic uh, in a future week. Uh, but the idea of breastfeeding and formula and all that, and we know that and poop and poop. Don't forget the outs. <laughs> Don't forget the outs. Um, and breastfeeding can confers a lot of benefits, and I think a lot of. Um, Mothers are very inclined to prefer that very early on, and, and I, I totally uh, get that, and, and, and rightly so. But I um, also think it is important to have a pragmatic perspective on think of all of the things that you believe that the benefits that breastfeeding confers, you know, think of them all in your head, and then think of the potential detriment uh, of uncontrolled weight loss on the other side. And these are the paths that you face in front of you. Hmm. And you don't have a third path. And so there is no crime in supplementing caloric content of breastfeeding with additional formula to ensure the caloric intake is sufficient to ensure weight gain. And I know it sounds simple, but basically the bottom line is if they are losing weight, you need to feed them more. And so to me, there was the emotional side that I was trying to reconcile was just that that kind of back of your mind anxiety as you drive into the hospital. You know, every single time you're like, God, I really hope she's up. I really hope she's up. I really hope she's not going down because it did get to a point where I think at our last visit before she started to go up, the pediatrician said, if she loses weight when she comes back to see me in 48 hours, I will admit her to the hospital. And it just wow. kind of puts the fear of God in you, you know, and you, you have to sit there and think, how, how do I solve this problem? And that's where the medical side of you comes in a little bit. And I would say there is no, I know it is so easy to say, and it is totally another thing to do in real life, but worrying at that stage does not confer benefit. You will not have a better outcome if you worry more. Um, if anything, worry will increase your stress. It'll increase the mom's stress. It has the potential to reduce breastfeeding success. Um, what you need to do is say, okay, I need to relax and I need to plow calories into my daughter. And how can I do that? We're going to breastfeed as much as we can. And we're going to supplement some calories on top with some additional. Formula. That's such a great phrase. 
I'm gonna what plow, plowing? <laughs> I'm gonna plow calories in. That sounds like what I do when I just get the bag of Tostitos, and I'm just like, I'm gonna right. plow these calories in. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, um, you know, so I think I, I would say the most important thing that I I want I want to go back three months and tell my you know one day old dad self. Um, and what I, if I had any advice to any dads or moms listening to this was be pragmatic. Do not worry. Um, you know, if, if there is a significant underlying disease, that is a different situation and you will need hospital care. If this is basic weight loss, which many infants experience, I mean, you experience, I experience, many people do, the majority of infants will lose weight at their, at their, at their discharge. And the question is, will they continue to lose weight at home or not? And the pragmatic approach, if you take the approach of breastfeeding, which like you, we, we did as well, um, do not be shy to say we need some more calories. You know, breastfeeding is great. The skin-to-skin contact, the um, immunologic support, you know, immune system support that comes with it. Uh, I mean, a host of benefits that we may not fully appreciate as well, um, but supplementing on top some additional calories to ensure weight gain is is not uh, a bad thing um, by any stretch and can be a life-saving thing as we experienced. So um, that that was sort of our big kind of moment when the doctor said, if you come back and she's lost weight again, she's going to be in the hospital. And that to me, you know, we can talk about the, the, you know, detriments of feeding formula, but the detriments of being hospitalized, receiving antibiotics, receiving a feeding tube, um, receiving IV catheters and so on as an infant is way worse than any amount of formula you can be supplemented. Um, so I would say it was difficult to reconcile because of course I was worrying. Um, but I think in the moment, my approach was just sort of like, we need to relax because if we stress more, it's going to make it worse. Um, and all we need to do, this is a pretty basic equation. We just need to top up. We just need to top up. And, and that's sort of how we dealt with that. And it's also one of those things too, like I'm, this is a whole other can of worms that we're not going to get into right now, but it's also just like, it's not a failure. Like if you have to do that, right? Like I feel like, and again, no. I'm going to say that. And like we've said already, that's so easy to just say, but, um, and again, as we are sitting here, um, useless nipples, the podcast, uh, you know, as, as we're, <laughs> you know, going to be kind of called, but it's just like, and so I do not anticipate to understand any of the postpartum, um, emotions of a mother you know, in terms of, you know, breastfeeding and what that means physically and emotionally on, um, on a woman. Um, because as we talked about earlier in the episode, it is just absolutely astounding what they are able to accomplish. But like you mentioned, it's, yeah, sometimes our, our medical minds can kind of take over. Like you mentioned with that pragmatic approach of just like in has to be greater than out. And that's what it comes down to. And there's no, um, shame or uh, detriment to just approaching that logically. Um, yeah, and I can I can see why I can totally appreciate why it might to to our wives feel that way, feel like a failure. But it really is not. 
Um, and I think one other major, I mean, really important thing to think about is that this weight loss is occurring within the first couple of weeks, and that is occurring when you are new at this. I mean, it, it, there is so much going on, sure. and you are learning so much that if you believe, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the hang of this breastfeeding thing, and you know, the milk supply is gonna get larger, and we're, you know, this is gonna get better with time. That's great, and maybe a month from now, you, I mean, right now we do not use formula anymore. We don't need it. She's a chunky monkey with just breastfeeding alone. But it can take time to get into that rhythm. And those first couple of weeks are so critical that this, I mean, we're not, it's not yet a failure because a failure is like you stop and give up and, you know, you don't do it anymore, which is also okay. You know, that's also okay because there are many reasons why people stop. But, you know, it for most people- Yeah, whether people, they choose to or forced to or otherwise, right? Like, right, yeah. exactly. It's For most people in those first couple of weeks, it's not a failure. It's just that it's still- a, you're getting the hang of it, but B, and more importantly, your body's getting the hang of it. You know, your body is still trying to figure out how to produce the sufficient calories for this little thing. And that's going to come with time. And it's not that it, it's not, it hasn't, it's, it's not that it's not going to work. It's just that it's going to take a few more weeks to get there. And in the meantime, she's got to get battered. So, you know, you yeah. just got to, you just got to supplement a bit and, well, and that's okay. And what we were talking about before, kind of just as we closed the first segment was just like all these things that these mothers just kind of naturally do and just kind of figure out as they go. But we also forget that they're like the, their bodies are doing it too. And we, you can't just like expect that yeah. it's just going to just happen because you like, you know, whatever watch some TV show where the, you know, this, that, the other thing, or read a post that, or, or in a, you know, group that, or anything like, you know, anything regarding those types of things. You just can't like, or just, you know, even with, uh, you know, our daughter, um, you know, we had to, you know, see a lactation consultant and everything. Cause she just wasn't nursing, you know, amazing to start. And, you know, even things like that, you can't just like expect your child to just be like, oh, that's a nipple, you know, like, or like, there's just so many yeah. factors that go into it. But what matters more than any of those factors, like we said, is just in greater than out. Uh, yeah. And so, um, so no, that, that's an interesting, um, like you said, kind of concept and approach that way. I know we kind of focus it around the weight loss um, adage of it. Um but uh, I'm just going to ask you one more question in this topic. And I'm curious um, because I'm going to give you my thoughts on it after. But to to those of you who are listening who are veterinarians, um, I'm hoping our friends are listening. Um, they told me they would be. So I'm going to assume <laughs> that they are. But uh, anyway. Uh, See, it's so funny. I my my reaction is god i really hope they're not listening <laughs> oh really oh my gosh that's, i mean they're I mean, definitely going to make fun of us because they know the stories um which is kind of the funny part about it but uh um but anyway for those for those of our friends or those people who are veterinarians potentially who are listening we have those clients and you know who those clients are they're the clients that googled something or, you know, they're just, you know, they bring the information to try to sound smart and fail miserably um, despite their best efforts or have that kind of I think I know more than you kind of attitude. Um, and I'm curious, do 
have you found yourself at any point so far, whether it was in the hospital or whatever, or as your wife found herself, or have you found each other being that client? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, boy, boy. Because um, I'll start by saying my wife has definitely called me out for being that client. And I'll talk about that <laughs> in a minute. But I'm, I'm interested if you guys have even just found yourself doing it um, and then yeah. being like, oh, that's what we sound like. Oh, right, okay. Right. Um, anyway, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. I think when we say, you know, that that client, I think there's a few things that go into it. I mean, one is a heightened level of worry and sort of overanalyzing or overinterpreting little things. And, you know, in the broad sense, really the greatest question is, is there going to be survival or permanent damage? And if there isn't, then you probably don't need to worry about it. You know, if it's a problem that's going to fix itself. And so, um, you know, there's one component, which is the overanalyzing. The other component is the sort of sometimes accusatory or negative nature sometimes that, that you want to prevent yourself from feeling like you're arguing with the doctor. Um, I think it is extremely important to remember that you are a free and independent person. And if you disagree with them, you can just say, okay, thanks for the information. And then like, go do your own thing. I mean, you have that right to do that. It does not serve a productive conversation to convince the person opposite you who has far more medical training in this, that they're wrong and you're right, because that's just not going to go any anywhere. Um, and so I think my wife and I really almost obsessively tried to be as friendly and positive as possible, even if there was something that we were like kind of internally questioning, you know, in the moment, it was always, oh, great. Okay, thanks for the information. And then we would sort of discuss it on our own separately. Um, and so I would say I don't think that we were ever, you know, that client insofar as the ne negativity, if that makes sense. I mean, I think you probably can relate to, to what I'm saying in, in, in the, you know, having that kind of negative, awkward or tense relationship uh, with who you're talking to. Right. Not at all. Not, not one iota. Um, always excessively positive. The sort of overanalyzing thing, um, boy, I, I don't know how to say this. I, I think the people who listen to this, who know me and know my wife, know full well the type of personality I am and, and uh, the personality she is and would say yep. that it is much more likely that I would say, ah, don't worry about it even when maybe it does warrant worrying about. And she would say, oh, we should worry about this, even when it's something that doesn't warrant worrying about. Um, and so I would say that we, there were moments where we were that client, but privately, like between the two of us, there mm. was, we're overanalyzing, kind of discussing, over discussing and worrying together, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, but not, I wouldn't say so much in the, uh, you know, you know, in those meetings. Um, now I wasn't because of COVID wasn't, couldn't go to the lactation consultant appointment. So I don't know the extent of how those conversations went. Um, but I would say that I think, you know, like m my wife went in with a list of questions, would ask the questions and that was it. And so I, I would say, I think, w I, I know it's hard to analyze yourself, but I would say, we were not that client. I think we tried to be relaxed and positive and open and not worrying, at least in front of the doctor, if that makes sense. But I, I truly believe the only reason we were like that was because we were always thinking about the people who we had had awkward or 
tense conversations with in the past as doctors ourselves and thought, you know, we don't want to be that. We don't want to be those people. And we were almost paranoid of being those people. Um, and so we very much tried not to be. So I know that's a, it's a bit of a not straightforward answer to your question, but I would say I don't think we were with the pediatrician, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, but definitely going through those kind of, you know, overanalyzing discussions on our own here at home. That that definitely did happen. Yeah. So I was um, I was definitely that client. Um, now, like you mentioned, not in a negative way at all. However, I was my wife was constantly embarrassed of me, which I feel like I should have known like I was going to be a good dad from the beginning because I was already embarrassing <laughs> you know, my wife, like right away, even though our daughter was three days old or whatever. But um, but I was just so genuinely curious about the details and like the minutia of things that I would ask all of these questions. And, you know, so I, I mentioned the, um, you know, skin rash that our daughter had that we had to, you know, when they took swabs of it and they sent it out to the lab and they were talking about it. And she's like, yep, so we're just going to culture this and send it out to the lab to make sure, you know, it's likely, you know, staff is a fairly common one, but uh, we're just going to culture it to this, this and that. And I just start asking these questions, you know, and I'm just like, so when you're sending the culture, like, are, like, are we looking for this and that or whatever? And you mentioned viral and bacterial. Like, I'm curious. It's like, what are the more whatever? And my wife is just like, just shut up and let her swab <laughs> the darn kid's chin so we can get out of here. Like, right. we know that it's probably going to be, you know, like Impetigo or like the staff. We're going to she's going to give us some cream. She's going to be fine in a week. And I'm just like, yeah, but what if it's like, you know, like, not in from a worrying standpoint, but like just actually from like a diagnostically curious standpoint that I mm. was always doing that. And I could tell that like the, our pediatrician is wonderful. Um, and I could tell that she was just like kind of humoring me. And I was just like, oh, so I'm that client. <laughs> Got right. it. So like I'm like, like when we hang up and we're like, man. They were nice and all, but like they had me on the phone for 47 minutes. Like, and I was just like, oh, hmm, I'm, I'm that guy. Got it. Okay. You know, where they're just like, oh, give this, you know, give the, you know, give this clan twice as long for the appointments. You know, dad's a chatter. Um, that's, that's, that's probably what they say behind the scenes about me. Cause I was just so curious. Like I, cause I mean, again, our medical knowledge is typically reserved for those with four legs. Um, you know, and, uh, and so just like the genuine curiosity, but then also like as a dad as well, just being like, oh, so like when they're growing like this and that and the other thing, and um, as I'm sure you're experiencing a little bit uh, right now, just at your stage, you know, kind of their stomach volume is such like a weirdly fascinating thing, mm -hmm. right? That their stomach when they're born is like barely the size of like, you know, a marble. Um, it's a cherry. It's a raspberry. Like, it's a grape. Yeah. It's any it's any type of different food stuff, basically. Right. She's got a cornucopia in her gastric system. And you're yeah. just, it's just, yeah, it's just anyway. So it's just so fascinating. And then I'm definitely, and then there's my poor wife just being like, can you stop? <laughs> like you're embarrassing me. And I'm just like, oh, sorry. Okay. All right. My bad. Um, but uh, so I'm, th I'm definitely that client, um, which will be uh, funny to see how that develops as they get a little bit older. And then I'm curious what you'll, you know, when you, I was gonna say, when you reach my stage, as if I'm on a different level, I mean, when your daughter reaches oh, the switch that I mean, reaches the age that my daughter is, it'll be interesting to see how you feel like that develops as well. 
Um, but uh, that'll be it for now. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here on the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. We're going to come back and wrap it up uh, with the uh, quickest rapid fire we've done probably. Um, I know Definitely. we say, we say that every time, but I feel like this one has to be the quickest one just because of how long this episode's been already. Um, but we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I'm Christian. This is my co-host, Chris, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I'm Chris, here with Christian. And uh, just before we go, we're going to close things out with one of our recurring segments, Rapid Fire. So, Christian, I mentioned the theme of this Rapid Fire to you before, which is uh, children's uh, TV and movies. Mm. Um, but I, you don't know the questions. No, I do so not. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite curious. So we'll start things off because I know that you and your wife are big, big Disney fans, you know, frequent uh, Disney World visitors. Um, so I'm just going to start with the basicest of basic questions. Okay. Of all of the non-Pixar Disney movies, in your opinion, not your daughter's or wife's opinion, what do you believe is the best non-Pixar Disney movie? I think it's got to be Lion King. Beauty. Great answer. Yeah. My answer. I just think, uh, I mean, uh, first, first like 15 minutes aside, obviously. Um, but I just think like score – um, you know, storyline. Um, you know, I I don't think I I don't ever not drum along to Circle of Life. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, so Lion King. That was that phase of Disney movies where they were bringing in like they got Elton John for the Lion King and Phil Collins for uh, Tarzan. I mean, it was right in that phase when they were getting some good <laughs> music yeah, going absolutely. on. Yeah. I, uh, I I had Lion King as well. I like Jungle Book as well. I think mm. it's kind of one of those sort of um, sort of forever stories of the idea of uh, a journey. You know, it's a story that's that's a journey and the the people you meet along the way. So that, that one's a classic for me. All right, rapid fire. So I'm going to go on to the next one quickly. Uh, very easy segue. You know, you and I have been very lucky to be alive in an era where we've seen the growth and development of uh, Pixar. Um, and of course, DreamWorks and, and, and all of them as well. So of all of the CGI animated movies, you know, of which Pixar is the biggest category, but you can keep it open to, to DreamWorks and everything too. What is the best CGI animated movie of the last, uh, you know, let's say 25 years, starting with Toy Story 1, I guess. Hmm. And this is of my personal opinion? Your personal opinion. Yep. Monsters, Inc. Mm, good one. Good one. Why, why Monsters, Inc.? Uh, I, it just a, a riot from start to finish, just, you know, Mike, you know, Sully, um, the little girl, boo, you know, Roz, uh, who's just such a good character. I'm watching Wazowski. Just, it just, I don't know. I don't know what it is about that movie, but I just, I just love it. Wow. My my wife and I, if our daughter does like a really cute little giggle or something, we'll often look at each other and go, Mike Wazowski. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, just uh, yeah. a quick Disney uh, aside here. They have what's called the Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor, um, which is because in the subsequent movies, obviously, they go for laughter, of course. And uh, and so it's like a comedy club, but it's all like CGI with um, <laughs> with like Mike Wazowski being like the host of like the comedy night. And they have like right. Sam and Ella that are, you know, conjoined twins that do comedy together. And 
uh, like all these stuff and they always pick on people in the audience and it's so funny uh my <laughs> wife and i go all the time and yeah. uh it's so yeah it's it's great but yeah i'm gonna say monsters inc Good choice. Classic. And uh, I think one of the best, one of the most creative ideas behind yeah, it. Yeah. And it's kind of like atypical Disney, yeah, I guess, though, yeah, right? Like yeah. if you just think about it and it's, you know, in what you think of a classic Disney movie to be, it was a little, it's it's a little bit different from the mold. Um, in kind that. of the humor, the humor between Billy Crystal and John Goodman in that way is, is also unique. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I mean, Finding Nemo is a little bit of that humor, um, but, you know, you don't see it in, in a lot of other ones. Sure. Um, I'll just quickly give mine Coco. Um, oh. I think that one just visually stunning. Yep. And how is it that Disney is able to make a movie about death be so touching and heartwarming? Yeah, but, and accessible but Chris, most Disney movies are about death. <laughs> hey, Bambi, true. Lion King. Lion, like Frozen. Like yeah. you just like, I'm just saying, if you stop and think about it, not the point. They're yeah, fantastic, incredible. but I mean, they, 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 you're right. The Coco visually stunning music, top notch, um, for sure. So. All right. We'll get it. We'll get a little bit more nostalgic with this question, but you know, we've been thinking about what sort of kids and, uh, sort of what sort of kid shows and things like that. We might, uh, uh, our daughter might watch growing up. Of course, everyone talks about what's the appropriate amount of TV time and things like that until you start to realize, man, I, I watched a lot of cartoons when I was a kid. So let me ask you this question. When you were growing up in the 90s, what was your personal favorite TV show growing up? What did you watch the most of? Uh, my parents are going to kill me for this, but uh, The Simpsons, believe it or not. <laughs> um, and we weren't really allowed to watch it, um, which is probably why um, we watched it so much. I had a, I have, I had, it sounds like he's not here. I have a brother three years, my senior. So that was also a little bit of a factor there. Um, but I'll say the Simpsons. Um, but then we also grew up watching a lot of cartoons. So there was a ton of, um, when I was really little, um, Thomas, the tank engine was always on in my house. Uh, my dad's, mm. my dad's a trainaholic, so he was fine with that. And uh, so Shining that Time station Ringo Starr. Yeah, buddy. Um, and so we watched a lot of that. Um, and then there was also a lot of, you know, like the Power Rangers, you know, type cartoons as well. Um, but my first initial thought based on what you just asked the question, the first thing that came to my mind was The Simpsons. Nice. OK, I like that. Um, mine, um, I guess mine's kind of a cop out. It's two answers. So mine's Pinky in the Brain. Oh, um, nice. But yeah, I know, I know. But um, that was, again, you know, I mentioned bonding moments. That was a bonding moment for for me and my dad, my stepdad growing up. We watched that on Saturday mornings. We'd have Cap'n Crunch together on Saturday mornings. Nice. Um, and some of those memories, um, you know, they're just hard. They're hard to escape from. Uh, but of course, Pinky and the Brain was part of Animaniacs. I was just about to say uh, Animaniacs, which too. Which has yeah. just been rebooted. And who knew? I had no idea until I was an adult that that was a Steven Spielberg production. Um, I, I was mean, today what, years old when I learned that. Yeah, unbelievable, isn't it? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that one, that one for me. And of course, Animaniacs, you know, I love geography. So they're, uh, oh, yeah. You know, song and the country song um the president song just doesn't doesn't get better than that um so the next one i don't have an answer for yet mm. my daughter is too young and so i'm kind of i'm <laughs> almost in a way looking for a suggestion if that makes sense um but uh 
you know, our, our daughter has just sort of started to see the flicker of the TV and shown some interest in it and kind of, you know, sees a little bit of stimulation with it um, when she's not sleeping. So what, um, you know, your, your daughter's um, uh, quite a bit older than mine. So what does she have a favorite TV show um, or is there a TV show that you encourage her to watch? Uh, nothing necessarily uh, explicitly that we uh, encourage her to watch per se. Um, she is um, obsessed with Paw Patrol currently. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's because we have a dog. And like one of her first words mm. was dog. And so Ooh. it's a show about dogs, right? Like, And right. so I think that she naturally was just drawn to that. Um, so, but that being said, we, I mean... Again, and this is a whole other, um, you know, discussion for another time. We do l try to limit the amount of TV that she watches um, for, you know, just to kind of, you know, little splices here and there. Um, but pretty much anything on Nickelodeon, you know, Paw Patrol's Bubble Guppies is another one. That's uh, Peppa Pig uh, for those parents out there who uh, who love to jump up and down in muddy puddles. Mm -hmm. You'll learn that at some point, Chris, don't worry. <laughs> um it those but um but actually believe it or not what she's currently obsessed with is actually a nursery rhyme show hmm. maybe not show youtube channel almost it's called canticos hmm. um canticos. canticos it is uh so nickelodeon has made a um a a fervent effort to have things in both English and Spanish here in the United States. And okay, so, thanks. uh, so some of their shows, uh, they're incorporating like, um, Latino and Latina characters, um, who, and to learn Spanish words for kids and things like that. So Canticos are these three little chicks, chicks, the actual bird. Um, and, uh, they do nursery rhymes, some of which you already know, you know, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, a couple of other ones, but then some other kind of random ones. And they do them both in English and Spanish. Um, wow. And she really is cool. obsessed with it. Now, she can't say the word Conticos at all, um, of course, because she's like not even two. And she just kind of goes like, giggle, 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 giggle. And we just know that that means she wants to watch Canticos. Um, and she is obsessed mm. with it. She Every time it comes on, uh, you can play it on the radio or on your, you know, smart device or whatever. And she just dances away and she loves it. And my wife and I have it stuck in our head uh, all day. But uh, but yeah, so that's what cool. she's that's really what she's like doing it. right now. So that's a great suggestion. I'm definitely going to remember that Canticos. And it's so unique too. you know, different than than so many uh, of the other offerings out there. So my last one is uh, my last question is sort of along the same vein but a little bit more on a personal level. You know, we were talking about movies that we've been attached to. Is there an underrated children's movie that to you is important for you to watch, uh, for her to watch, um, or something that, you know, you, a movie that you think a lot of people maybe don't know about um, that that is important to you? I'll give you sort of an example for me. My answer for this is Avengers Down Under. Um, not the most famous uh, animated movie out <laughs> there, but fantastic. one that's super important to my childhood um, and uh, and something that I think she would enjoy. Um, and uh, yeah, so what 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 is that for you? Um, I had my answer like right away in your question as soon as you started it and it's land before time and it's Whoa, not even close land great before one. time um 
that movie series. I'm pretty sure my parents still have the VHSs somewhere. Um, and yeah, just just fantastic. Yeah, just like a childhood staple of mine that I remember. My brother was obsessed with dinosaurs growing up, and so we watched it all the time. Uh, mm. You know, huge Ducky fan, you know, yep. just the, yep, yep. Yeah, yep, 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 exactly. So start to finish. So yeah, Land Before Time. I'm going to have to find a way to get those because if I don't have the VHS is still, I mean, I'm sure they exist in digital form at some point, but um, yeah. But yeah, dinosaurs were really big when we were kids because it was Land Before Time and Jurassic Park yep. and everything. Um, yeah, it was really big. And I, you remember like the first two minutes of that movie is just the saddest thing. Just, when yeah, just, uh, just, <laughs> yeah, just again, going back to like, you know, the Disney movies and that just like, yeah, they, they break you down before they build you back up for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, those were, yeah, that was a staple for sure. So Land Before Time, not a question. So beautiful. Well, that, those were all great answers. I love that segment. Thank you, Christian. This has been Rapid Fire. And, I, and, and arguably our most, most rapid fire, our rapidest fire. <laughs> rapidest fired. Rapidest yeah. fire, yeah. Because um, it didn't take like 27 minutes, I don't think. so. Um, but no, Chris, this was a lot of fun. Um, I know we ran long with this one, but I think we, I think we had a lot of good stuff to say. Um, so I was, uh, I, I, you know, I was happy with how everything went today. What about you? Oh, yeah, I loved it. I always love doing this, and I, I hope our listeners do too. And uh, I mean, at this rate, our next one will probably be two and a half hours, even though we're going to say we're going to shave it down even further. Um, but uh, as always, I had a great time. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, man. Um, no, this this was a pleasure. Um, yeah, we'll try and trim the fat, much like I'm trying to do on my Peloton. Full circle, <laughs> see what I did there. Um, we'll, tr we'll try to trim the fat around the edges a little bit here. But uh, no, we're really excited. Um, uh, to have you along with us for this ride. Um, just a couple of quick thank yous, as we always do. Um, our producer, Ryan, who will hopefully make this shorter. Um, and, uh, you know, our wives and daughters, of course, for not only putting up with us, but allowing us to do this and making us the men that we are. Um, Vishal Murthy, vet cartoonist, um, who is in charge of our imaging. And you mentioned an all-around great guy off the top. I don't think that can be um, overstated. Just a great, just a great guy. Mm, um, yeah. And Michael Spicer Music, uh, Michael Spicer uh, Composer on Instagram, michaelspicermusic.com, um, you know, for all of our stingers, intro, outro. Um, so, um, and and most importantly, you guys, the listeners, um, for, uh, for being along with us. Um, one thing we haven't mentioned in a couple episodes that I think that is, a, is really important to, to emphasize here is uh, if you want to get in touch with us, get in touch with the show, um, you know, ask us questions. We obviously talk about a lot of stuff. We'd love to hear from you, comments, questions, recipes, um, you know, weird sports facts, you know, all that type of stuff that we love. And um, so dad joke loading podcast at gmail.com is our current uh, way to get uh, in touch with the show. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. So uh, we encourage you to do you that really again. Um, dad joke loading podcast, because we are obviously just two dads um, who, who talk a lot about stuff. But we also know that there are tons of other parents out there um, in all different kind of situations um, and that type of stuff. So all perspectives are, are, are encouraged and welcome here, but, uh, but that's it for another episode here of the dad joke loading podcast. I am Christian alongside my best friend and co-host Chris. We are so excited that you're with us and we're even more excited to talk to you next week, but for now, take care again, the dad joke loading podcast. <laughs>